effectively again this time uh, about the different kinds of preachings that people do. And I gave you a few examples, and uh, I'd like to run through that quickly one more time and, and uh, <clears throat> talk about that quickly. The different kinds of preaching. One of the ways of preaching is expository, where people, they take the scripture and they, if you will, expose what the scripture is saying, uh, the, what the meaning is of what you just read. Many times they bring in the Greek and sometimes the Hebrew, if, if that's appropriate. And uh, what is the scripture saying? Uh, and then you have uh, another group. Some, some groups are expository, and that's it. If you go to the church and you preach otherwise, like topical or something, they, they, they don't even accept it. That, that's not really preaching. That is not true. Okay. Then you have another group that goes verse by verse. If you don't preach verse by verse, you're not really preaching. You're not, me not, you might not even be sharing the truth. Uh, verse by verse. If you're not doing it verse by verse, uh, they, 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 they want to hear from you very much. Uh, so that is another group. There, we went to a conference, and there's nothing wrong with verse by verse preaching. There's nothing wrong with expository preaching, but that's not the only way of, the only way of preaching. So, verse by verse, we went to a, a conference, uh, Paul and, and uh, Joyce, and I and Sybil, we were, we were at a conference, and it, it was a verse by verse conference. And uh, there's a verse by verse church. So, nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to make fun of it or downplay it. That, that's just their, their way of thinking, but th- that's not the only way of preaching. Uh, then either expository or verse by verse, you can uh, add to that uh, application so that when you explain to the people that you're preaching to what the verse means, then now you're trying to apply it to their lives. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense for the people to know what a scripture means if they don't know how to apply it to their lives. You know? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how do you do that? Well, they, they need to, we need to apply that. So then you find a ways of making application. Then there's another way of preaching. It's called topical. That is to say that somebody has a topic that they want to talk about. Let us say forgiveness. And then they go through the scriptures to find out what the scriptures have to say about forgiveness. Rarely do they have enough time in one sermon to cover all that the scripture says about a given topic. So then you are honest with your audience and you tell them that this is what you're going to share this morning. There's a whole lot more to, to share about the subject. Um, so, and then you have a combination. I'm not married to any of these systems or these ways of doing it. I just do what I feel like the Lord wants me to do. If it's topical, I do topical. If it's expository, that's what I do. Sometimes we go through a book, and that is, by definition, sort of verse by verse and expository. And, uh, and either way, we want to give application so people can apply the truth of what God is saying. They can apply it to their lives, which is hugely important. Hugely important. So today we'll go <clears throat> uh, uh, sort of topical, 
and I will do a number of sermonettes. That's a new one for you. <laughs> there is maybe uh, there is some, some repetition, as there always is. It's hard to talk about Jesus and not talk about that he's a redeemer and that he's a savior and that he's the Lord. No matter how often you talk about Jesus, you know, these things seem to come up uh, because that's who he is. Uh, and, and so there is other arenas or areas that, uh, that need to come up often and that should come up often because we should know those things and apply them to our lives. Uh, because it's my experience that, and it's probably your experience, that when somebody hears a message one time, pretty much, they have forgotten it, unless you give them some homework to do, an assignment. Husbands, love your wife as Christ, love the church. Husbands, this is how you do that. Go do it. Okay? If they do it all week long, they'll remember next week what the sermon was about. If they don't do it, they may not. Do you remember what the sermon was about last week? A messianic miracle. Yes. You're very interested in the subject, so you re- of course you remember it. But uh, it is not, uh, it is a wonderful subject, that messianic miracle, because it helps you understand what is going on in there. It really, uh, in a real way, doesn't add a lot of spiritual maturity to you. It just helps you to understand a little bit more what was going on. As you, read, as you read the text. Typically, I, I don't preach that way typically, even though I want you to under, understand the text. But typically, I'm more of a, an application sort of a, a guy. Um, so um, so t- today, I'd like to talk about a few things, uh, though, though brief. So obviously, we don't have time to cover the whole, the whole thing. But just talk about it briefly because I want to accentuate it one more time because I think these, and these are not the only ones, but some of these things are very important for a victorious Christian life. And where I'm coming from as a pastor, it is with me about you having a victorious life. That you can live a Christian life that matters for the kingdom, that matters to Jesus that matters when you have difficulty, that matters even in death. So that is what I want my life to be like, that it matters. It makes a difference uh, in difficulty, and I've had plenty of difficulties, uh, not compared to some of the other people in, in other parts of the world, or in death. I want my death to count for the kingdom. Anyways. So, uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, talking. You've talked about that, talking. I want a little bit to talk about talk, stewardship, a little bit about worship, a little bit about love and grace, a little bit. Pleasing God ourselves, the beauty that God values, and for forgiveness. Not necessarily in that order. I'll just pick and choose as I go. Uh, I have already picked and chosen, uh, but I may not even stick to my picking and choosing. Uh, It it just depends. (laughs) Uh, The first thing that I like for us to talk about 
It's about talking. How to use or not to use the tongue, our mouth. The scriptures have a ton to say about that. A ton. You don't stop and think about it because maybe you don't stop and think about it. But a ton. The, 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 the book of James devotes pretty much the third chapter to all, all of the church chapter concerning the tongue, the mouth, how to talk. Uh, Paul writes a lot about talking. Uh, we have learned about Ephesians 4.29 that says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which, which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the people. The book of Proverbs has a ton to say about talking. The Old Testament, the New Testament have things to say about witness, the way you are going, I'm going to witness about what he did. I'm using my mouth to speak about what he did or didn't do, whether it's in a court of law or whether it's just in a way of a testimony. On and on and on. So there's a lot to be said about that, and I want to just point out a couple of things in this text. We don't have time to ex do expository and, and, and detail too much. Otherwise, we have only time for one. I want to cover several subjects. So here, here it is, uh, James, the third chapter, and we're reading verses 1 through, uh, can you put 1 also? Or, 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 2 is good, 2 is good, yeah. And it says this, for we all stumble in many things. Is James right? I think James is right. This is James. Yes. Uh, well, ouchie yes and ouchie no. Ouchie yes and ouchie no. Typically, and I want, I, want, I want you to know where I'm coming from, when somebody has an ouchie, I like to point it out to them, but not in a judgmental way. I like to point it out to them so we can come out of it and we can start doing better. So the same way when I'm teaching the scriptures. The scriptures are pretty much, you know, and a very high bar. Yes? And you say, or you don't say, but maybe someone would say, I, I don't know. I cannot get there. You're right, you cannot get there. The Holy Spirit will take you there without any more gymnastics. If you just yield to the Holy Spirit, He will take you there. But I don't want you to get discouraged because you're here and you're reading the scriptures about here. No. I want you to be encouraged. And I want to encourage you because God wants you here, and he'll take you here if you'll just submit yourself and yield to the power of God who will get you there. And this is not difficult for God. <laughs> so, we all stumble. If anyone does not stumble in word, here you have your mouth. If you don't stumble in using your mouth, he is a perfect the word perfect here, it doesn't mean perfect as in sinless perfection. The word perfect usually when it's in the New Testament, when it's mentioned, it means mature. Somebody is mature in the Lord when they use their mouth for the edification of other people and to be grace to the hearers. So if he doesn't stumble in, 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 in using his mouth, he's a mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, you might not have thought about this, that by being mature in the way you use your mouth, 
you can tell your body, you can have control over what your body is going to do. Do, do, you, do we read the same text? Is that what it says over there? I, I, I'd be happy to, to take what, a different opinion. So, that is so huge to me. Because so few people that I know control their body. This is no condemnation. It's difficult. <laughs> when I'm in my home country, the food that I like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, it is so good. And at home, they don't want you to just go one time. They want you to go two times just to show that it's good. I was going to tell you a story, but I don't, I don't want to take too much time, but and then you have the different juices, the fruits that they make uh, drinks out of. Always with sugar. So you're eating, you're drinking, and you don't have a lot of exercise because you're ministering. So you go preach somewhere, and then they feed you that again. So, uh, so it is difficult. There's no condemnation. But he says that if you can control your mouth, you can control your body. You're able to bridle. The whole body. And just to make sure that we don't misunderstand it, he gives us three examples. He goes on to say, verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. He's, he's, giving, he's making the point. We put a small bit in a horse's mouth. With that bit, I get to control his whole body. That horse, if he wanted to, he could just kick me off of himself, I mean, I mean, in, in, into the clouds. <laughs> but, you know, with just a bit, I control him. I go there, he goes there. I go there, he goes there. I go there, he stops. Poof, just like that. With a bit. I get to control his whole body. James is making the point that if we can control mm, this thing, this tongue, then we get to control the whole body as well. That's the point he's making with the bed and the horse. Then he gives us another example. And he says, verse 4, he says, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So, you have a ship. Jim knows very well about those ships, Jim. He takes, he takes boats to Florida. Huh? And you go like this or you go like this. <laughs> okay? And, you know, this controls the rudder. And the captain, by controlling that little rudder, he controls the whole ship. And he gets to tell that ship where it's going. Right? You're... You're the captain tells that ship where it's going, and the ship goes there. He is making the point that if you control your mouth, you can tell your body where it's going to go, and it will go there. But if you don't stop and think about what James is saying over here, he's thinking, he's thinking about, okay, it's all about the tongue, which it, it is. But there's more, there's a ripple effect effects. Then he goes on to say, Wives, oh, sorry. 
The third one. Is there verse 5? Okay, verse 4. Okay, that's enough. That, that's, that's enough right there. I, I've made the point uh, that by controlling your mouth, you actually even get to control your body. But it is more than that. When you speak rightly with your mouth, you will be a blessing to many, many, many people. When you speak wrongly with your mouth, I don't want to say an ugly name or whatever. I just say, you're not a blessing. <laughs> I just say, you're not a blessing. Uh, okay, let, let me just look at my notes real quick and, and see what else we have over there concerning, concerning talking. Um, the second point is the beauty that God values, and we'll be in First Peter. The beauty that God values. You know, I told you before that uh, growing up, my father loved classical music. I love classical music. You can't help grow up with classical music that you're going to love it. Um, And he thought that classical music was the only music that was music. The rest was noise. So that was, that was his preference. That was his, what he thought was beautiful. But other people like other kinds of music, and they think that is beautiful. And some people like different kinds of music and think all these are, are beautiful. I'm sort of of the school that I like different kinds of music. And I think there's lots of beautiful music. Uh, beauty. People, some people. Some people say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, you look, you think it's beautiful. Somebody looks, somebody else looks. They don't think it's beautiful. It's an eye of the beholder. So you behold it, you think it's beautiful, okay, for you it's beautiful. Somebody else is beholding it, they think it's not beautiful, okay, to them it's not beautiful. Um, Rivers, waterfalls, mountains, valleys, you name it. Uh, All kinds of cars. Some people think they're beautiful, some people are not beautiful. People have, but... What I think is beautiful is not as important as what God thinks is beautiful. And when God decides that something is beautiful, that's what I want to do. Because I bring pleasure to my father. Just like I want to bring pleasure to my father and listen with him to classical music for hours. Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Handel, Corelli, you name it. Hours. Well, listen. Some of it I liked, some of it I liked really well. Or some of it I could take, you know, <laughs> or leave. <laughs> but just to please my father, I sat with him and listened to classical music. That is what I want to do in my walk with Christ, that I might. Please the Father for the beauty of my walk. What does it look like? Okay, let us look at 1 Peter there, the third chapter, and we're looking at 1 Peter, the church, third chapter, and we're looking at uh, verses, starting with verse 1. We're not going to spend a lot of time at verse 1, but I just want to you know, get the, the, what do you say, envelope, the wind up. 
the wine lift to go to the later verses. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. I'm not going to go there, although I'd like to, because a lot has to be clarified concerning wives submitting to, submitting to the husband. Lots has to be clarified, and lots has been abused with a scripture like that. But we're not going to go there. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. The point that Peter is making over here, hey, wives, you don't always have to do a lot of talking about Jesus if your husband is an unbeliever. Why don't you show him what you read? It's so much better than telling him what a lousy husband he is and that he needs Jesus. You should go to church with Oh, I should go to church with you. <laughs> All right. Is there ever teaching you over there to talk like that to me? If he's not a believer, he, he doesn't understand this stuff. So what you accomplish is he resists you even more. And Peter is saying over here that without too much talk, he might be one to Jesus. Because when you see it, sister, you can't deny it. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. He goes on to say this. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, when they observe, they see it. It's visible. It is recognizable. They see it with their own eyes in front of them. <laughs> what more do you need to see Jesus? He goes on to say, like I said, we don't have a lot of time. I like to spend a little more time on it, but, you know, I'm going to uh, sermonettes, the, the little sermons. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Can you give me four, then I go back to three, if, 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 if that's good. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Can we go back to verse three, uh, please? Do not let your adornment be merely outward. This is one of those abused, misused verses in the scriptures. Because some people use this in saying that a woman should not have makeup or jewelry. Can they go ahead and take a shower? Is that okay? <laughs> this is not what it's saying. I'll tell you what it's saying. Can you imagine that when a woman becomes a Christian, now she should just look like whatever. She cannot take care of herself anymore. Quite the opposite, I think. Don't you? You're a Christian woman, you want to be presentable. Amen. It's not that you have to go overboard, but certainly you want to be presentable. No, but when you become a, a Christian, you have to, you know, shabby clothes, don't wear the nice clothes. You can't have earrings, you can't have uh, anything in gold. You can't make your hair nice. That's not true. This is not true. What Peter is saying over here is he is saying, Christian women... This is what it's about. Young people, I want, I want you to know about this also. Peter is saying, 
this, this is a word that gives it away. The little word that merely. You, you can have outward beauty, yes. But let it just be merely outward. Let it also be inward. Because Peter say, that is the beauty that God values. That inward beauty. And by the way, my dear brothers and sisters, oh, let me just make the point before I forget it, okay? This talks about women over here, but the same thing is true about men, not about the makeup. <laughs> but about that your inner beauty and strength is also valuable to God. So, uh, he is saying over here that as a Christian woman, he's talking about believers here, if all your beauty is outward, you're missing the boat. Your real beauty should be inward. There's some practical things involved in that. Outward beauty is temporal. It fades away. Yes? I know that for a fact. I don't call myself beautiful, but I was a lot more handsome when I was 18 or 19 years old. A couple of weeks. My wife wrote me a note. Uh, let me see if I can. If I, that's just jump to jump in my head, but I have, I have it in my car someplace. Uh, a few years ago, it was my birthday, and she says, it is uh, amazing that at such and such an age, you can be still so handsome. I really appreciated that. But wouldn't it sound a, lo a little bit better if she would have said, I thank God that you're at such an age you're still amazingly handsome. Would I? <laughs> That's what she meant. I know what she meant. Because you know what? I know her heart. When you know someone's heart, they can say things with their mouth that they don't mean or mean otherwise. It comes out a little bit unfortunate. But because you know her heart, I know exactly what she's saying. I know exactly what she's saying. So, but so, women, if all your, Christian women, if all your beauty is on the outside, you miss the boat. You can have outward beauty, but not merely outward beauty, not just outward beauty. Because to God, the inner beauty is what counts. I was talking to you about some practical things. The, the, the outward beauty is temporal. It fades. Uh, you have to work at it. Do you work at it, ladies? Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> I, 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 quiet. I don't mean, you are beautiful already out the outward. But don't you put a little some of the stuff on your eyelashes and some of the stuff around here and, and that sort of stuff? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and then uh, so because God looks on the inside let your real beauty be on the inside gentlemen, brothers 
Let your real strength and attraction be on the inside to God. Because though your outward beauty fades, your inward beauty becomes more and more beautiful as you uh, get more mature in the Lord and learn to yield to him for him to make you in the image of Jesus. That spiritual beauty means so much to the Father. The beauty that God values. Where do we go from here? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> so I have a little list over here. Outward beauty, you can buy it. Inward beauty, money can't buy it. Outward beauty, you have to work at. Inward beauty, God makes it happen as you yield. Outward beauty fades away. Inward beauty gets more beautiful from glory to glory. Outward beauty is unpredictable. Inward beauty is steady. A God is, outward beauty, God is not so impressed. Inward beauty, great price to God. God values it. Okay. Let me see if I'm... Huh. Um, okay. I have here a little note that takes us to, to worship. Worship. Ah, I changed my mind. Let's, let's talk about stewardship first. Stewardship. Stewardship. Wow. Last week I told you that when I ask the church for money, I don't usually ask for money for our church. It is maybe a shortcoming on my part. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a shortcoming on my part. Uh, because the church has a reputation of money, money, money. So, but I, I don't want to talk to you about a lot of money to give us to the, to the church. Although, it's the right thing to do. And you should be generous in giving to the church where you get fed, where you, you, and so on and so forth. The church has to pay bills and electricity, insurance, and, and all these type of things. Um, but where I am looking from as your pastor is not that I am looking for more money for us, for the church. I'm looking for more money for you. I'm trying to find ways, and that's why we had faith and finances. Brother Lynn, Sister Dorothy, they were faith and finance champions, and we had uh, 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 others that we were helping with that, and we had some students, and we appreciate it so much because we are teaching people how to be good stewards of what God has given them. Um, have you ever read, you know, some churches have the description of their committees. And many churches, the church that I came from, had a stewardship committee. Pretty impressive name. But the stewardship committee from where I was looking from, they had the job of separating the members from their money. That sounds a little bit more mean than I meant it because you got so quiet. <laughs> 
they had the idea of inspiring the people in the church to give more to the church. And that is proper and that is right. But that is not the only stewardship that there is. There is a stewardship that says, hey, what God has given you, take care of it. Be wise with it. God has given you a car. Be wise with that car so that you don't have to buy a new car in three years because you didn't do the oil changes and all these type of things that go with a car. So you squandered money. That was a poor steward of what God has given you. Does that make sense? So, um, I want to teach people, Christian folks, to be good stewards, to not be in debt. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. I was just pausing a little bit. Maybe, maybe I got an amen on that one. <laughs> because, and, and being in debt is not a bad Christian. I'm not going there whatsoever. I'm just trying to encourage you to get out of debt if you at all can. Because while you are in debt, yes, you are a servant, yeah? The servant, the, the, the borrower is servant, I'm sorry, the borrower serve, serve to the lender, right? So you are owing a company money. You are their servant. You might say, well, I'm not their servant. Yes, you are. Because so many hours in a month, you're working strictly for them to pay that bill. Yes. I do, I, you pay bills. Okay. So a certain amount of hours, you are working for that company that you owe money to. And if you don't do it, they come after you. Try not to do it to the IRS and see what happens. <laughs> so, but when you're in debt, you, you are working so many hours. Let us say your monthly bills are $2,000. Is that possible? Oh, I know people that the house, the house payment alone is more than that. So you, 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 you are in debt for $2,000 a month. That means when you, when you make all the money that you're making for that month, $2,000 of, of that, $2,000 is going like, like, where did it go? That's not yours. <laughs> it's somebody else's. But if you, don't, if you are not in debt, you don't have that problem any longer. I told you one time I was in debt over a million dollars and we didn't even have one dollar. Today we are out of debt. And did I tell you this already? Probably did. I am so joyful being out of debt. And I think I probably maxed out on my joyfulness being out of debt. In two months, I'm even more joyful. And I'm thinking I maxed out now. And two months later, I'm even more joyful. My dear brothers and sisters, to be, to be out of debt is a pure joy and, and, and freedom. And the money that you are paying to those debtors goes now in your pocket. Now when Don Babin comes in the, on the 20th of January, 
poof, you can write a bigger check, fat check for Don, as he is sharing the gospel across the ocean. Cecil Peasley, whoever. You know, my brothers and sisters, the work of the kingdom of God, should that be financed by the people of the kingdom or by the people from another kingdom? Should the work of the kingdom be financed by unbelievers? Should we go to unbelievers to beg them for money because the kingdom needs their money? The kingdom doesn't need their money. God has designed it that his people will take care of it. Now, could God just write a check? He could. He used one of us or something, but uh, he's a human being, but he can do it any way he wants to. Matter of fact, when I was in debt, as I told you, I went to, the, post, to the, the, the mailbox in front of my house every day to look for a check. Is this a big thing for God to send me a check in the mail? Is that a big thing? I was, I was trying to take him up on it. If he has one, I, I'll find it. If he didn't write me a check, I wouldn't find it. He, he found another way of doing it. No problemo. But I checked every day. Ding. No check. I wasn't even disappointed because he can do it any way he wants to. Because I knew and he had told me already that he was going to take care of us. Okay. So now let me, let me, just, let me just say one more thing about this. I was going to ask you in the beginning of today's preaching if you would allow me to be a little bit tough on you. So I'm, I've, I've just been a little bit tough. Not very tough, but a little tough. I'm tougher on my athletes than I'm on you, but maybe that's not good. I feel like that in many places we are raising softy Christians. When the enemy comes and goes, boo, ah, they're running. But the armor of God has nothing in the back, so don't run away. I want you to stand toe-to-toe with whoever wants to rob your home and your business and your children. Tell him where he's going to stand and then I'll cross that line. If you do, I'm calling on Jesus right now. Get gone. I'm calling my big brother on you. Get gone. So, I hope I don't freak you out with this. But I'm afraid I maybe will a little bit. Most of the time in, in churches... People teach about tithing, and tithing is good. Tithing is not really taught in the New Testament. When the New Testament talks about tithing, it is primarily referring back to the Old Testament, and therefore, predictably, when it talks about tithing in the New Testament, it's in the book of Hebrews. So, with tithing comes the idea, and, and, and I'm, I'm fine with 
which you tithing. Okay, we'll settle. We'll settle a little bit. But with tithing comes the idea that when people tithe, they think they have been very generous. My dear brothers and sisters, that's what they did under the law. And I think that under grace, God looks at it differently. And so where I'm looking from, tithing is like the minimum. Am I freaking you out? Okay, okay, I want you a little bit, okay? So let me not freak you out. So tithing where I'm looking from is not generous. It's the minimum. And for the most part, Christian folks, they are not tithing. They are tipping. God. Do I have money on me? Over here. God. Here you go. I got your tip. But, it, but the tip is not even the minimum. What is the minimum tip around here? 15%? 15%. Hey, I gave you a generous tip. Here's 15%. That is not generous. That's the minimum tip. <laughs> I have to smile every once in a while. So you smile with me and you're not so serious. This guy lost his mind. He lost his marbles. So where I'm looking from, I'm saying Christians ought to, you, you, you don't have to agree with me. No problemo. Christians, this is just where I'm looking from. Based on what I know from the scriptures. Where I'm looking from, that not only should people tithe and then some, but then some more. Because you are not now tithers any longer. You are now stewards of the money that God has given you. Of all that God has given you. Your wife, your children, your car, your house, everything, including the money. It's his, and you are the steward of it. And if God needs more, do we agree it's his money? So let me tell you where I'm looking from. Can, can, can I? I don't talk about these things very often because I'm afraid I freak out people. But let me just share it with you. I'm your pastor. You may as well know my heart. And I'm not pondering these things. Money, money, money. I'm not that kind. You have never, I don't talk about money very much. <clears throat> but let me see if you agree with this statement. All that I have is God's. Yes? Okay, so let, Jimmy, let's just say I'm managing your money. So whose money is that? Your money. I'm managing your money. It's your money. I just get to manage it. So, but now I decide I want to give you a gift. And I use your money. How does that work? <laughs> you know how it works? If, I wa if I'm going to give you a gift with your money, I first have to steal it from you before I can give it to you. Because it's not my money. For it to be mine, I have to steal it. Or you have to give it to me. But it's your money. So 
I just get to do with your money what you tell me to do with. Is that, is that, is that fair? There we go. So if it all belongs to God, he tells us what to do with it, and we do it, period. Sorry, I get a little excited. But <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an old coach. I just get excited, you know. Uh, so, uh, worship. Uh, should we go to worship, or should we go to... I'll make a chart on worship. If we can go to Ephesians 5, 18 and 20, 18 through 20. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Folks, I'm not upset. I just get excited about what God is saying in his word. I had a, a little student. i just tell you a side story here quick while you're looking at the scripture. I, I had a little student. He's a 10-year-old. He's been here before in the summertime because he's a 10-year-old and he's very disciplined. He gets up, he runs a mile and a half every morning. Then, uh, then he has breakfast, then he studies piano for a half an hour or 45 minutes, then he works on math for a while, uh, and so on and so forth. So I brought him here, we stood right over there, and I asked him, so I interviewed him a little bit because I wanted our young people to know a 10-year-old is so disciplined. And therefore, he's going places. He's a mad whiz. And I, I asked him a few mad problems, and he just popped them out just like that. I, I think I asked him, how, is, how, how much is uh, 65 squared? Poof. 4,225. He popped out just like that. How did you know that? Well, let's tell the people, okay? There's a trick. When a number ends in five and you square it, then there's a certain trick. So, he's a very, very good tennis student. I teach him things that I don't even teach 16-year-olds. He's 10 years old. He can do every shot in the book. Not like a pro, not like a 16-year-old can, but he has the technique and the understanding of how to execute so many different things that 16-year-olds that are not his level cannot do. And <clears throat> so one, one day he came and he just hung out. His name is Cam, Cameron. I love Cameron. I love Cameron. Plain and simple. You love working with people like that. But he didn't put out that day. And he says, uh, I, so I ask him, I say, Cameron, are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. I say, Cameron, let me ask you this. Uh, have you ever seen me as your pro? Just chill, or do I bring it every time? Every lesson, I bring energy, so I teach you. Come on, Cameron, you can do it. Come on, move the feet. Come on, hit through the ball. I, I bring it. Do it. Yes, coach, you bring it every time. So, Cameron, let me ask you another question. Do you think I get tired sometimes? I suppose, coach, yeah, you get tired. Yes, Cameron, because I had an hour with you, but I've already been five hours on the court. So, yes, I get tired, but you would never know it. Because even though I'm tired, I can still, I still can bring some energy. Unless I'm so tired that, that I can't. Then maybe I have to take a break every once in a while. So, Cameron, let me ask you a question. Even though you're tired, can you still, can you still move your feet? 
Yes, coach. I said, come around. Then you have to move your feet. And when you're tired, you can just tell me, coach, I'm a little bit tired. Give me some consideration. Then I'll give you more breaks that day in the hour. But while we're on the tennis court, Cameron, you're going to bring it. He started crying a little bit. Not because I was hard on him, because I wasn't hard on him. I'm just telling him. Because he thought he had disappointed me. Cameron, you have not disappointed me. I'm your coach, so I have to coach you in every area of the game. Every area of the game. And if you want to be good, like a college scholarship or whatever like that, you've got to bring it. Otherwise, we're just dreaming. My dear brothers and sisters, I'm thinking that often as Christians, we're dreaming. We're not bringing it. We're not bringing it like we want it all the time. Oh, we can slack and I'm chilling. I'm hanging out with Jesus a little bit. He's such a nice man and such a great God and blah, 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 blah. Cameron, if you want to be really good, you've got to bring it all the time. Where was I? And I'm going to be sh- short with this. Don't be drunk with wine in which there is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, this is another scripture that has been abused a little bit. It doesn't say that you cannot drink alcohol. It doesn't say it over here. You cannot just be drunk. You just cannot be drunk with it. Okay, I'm not promoting alcohol. I lost my business because of alcohol. So I'm not promoting it in any way. But I have to be true to the scriptures, yes? Otherwise, who wants, who's going to believe me? You shouldn't even believe me if I'm not true to the scriptures. So, uh, but be filled with the spirit. Don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the spirit. And do not, okay, 19 says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. As soon as he's speaking and giving the Ephesians instructions that they should be filled with the Spirit, the very next verse, he goes to worship. Worship is a, a sign of the filling of the Spirit. Some people think about all, all kinds of other things. Some other things are also a sign of being filled with the Spirit. Loving one another means it's a sign that you're filled with the Spirit of God. Truly loving one another. We don't even have time to talk about that today, even though I wanted to. Uh, but he talks about worship. Now, the thing about worship is this, my brothers and sisters. And this is an area that really needs to be talked about in the church. Because, so I'll ask you a bunch of questions. Can I ask you a few questions? I, I, I'll ask you a few questions. Maybe that, 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 that will work better. Uh, who worships? Okay. Say again. All. So do you, are you supposed to worship? Okay. Every single believer is supposed to worship. Uh, in this scenario, it's the one who's filled with the Spirit. He for sure or she is a worshiper. Uh, 
when you look at the American church, I'm sorry, when I look at the American church, I see a tendency that where the people's worship depends on the people on stage. Have you ever worshipped by yourself? Yes? There were just three or four of you. Worship by yourself. I worship by myself all the time. Sometimes with music, sometimes without music. So if you can worship by yourself, then let me ask you this. Is beautiful music worship? It can be, but not necessarily so. We confuse the two. The more beautiful the music, the more we say we have worshipped. No, you have appreciated the beautiful music. Beautiful music, yes. It facilitates worship. Yes. Especially the songs that you love and you just, you listen to the lyrics and you just give them to God. And oh God, I feel like so and so about you. I love you. The song, the lyrics are describing exactly what I feel. Exactly what I'm thinking. Exactly what I want to express to you. But just because it is beautiful music doesn't mean it is worship. Just like if the music is not all that good, that it is not worship. Because you've worshipped without music. So, is your worship dependent on something on the outside? Not for the most part. Like I said, beautiful music facilitates. So, let's give it, what percentage do you give it, Keith? Beautiful music? And facilitating? Huh? 50%? Oh, you're way too high. Now, I'm thinking it's 10 or 15%. My brothers and sisters, you, you, you hear me, would you? Make up your mind that you're going to worship. So, in other words, if the band is not any good, you go to a church and the band is not any good, or not that good, it's going to be not any good because typically, you know, they don't put them on the stage if they're not any good, so they were at least decent, then what most people do, they make up their mind not to worship. They don't like it. Over here, they don't have beautiful music. Well, you make up your mind, because if you make up your mind, you can worship, brothers and sisters. And then do it. And then not complain about the music. You're not complaining about the music. You're not complaining about the music. I've never heard a complaint in this church. I'm just teaching. Never a complaint. And I have always appreciated you as the church. That when the young people first started playing music over here, they were not accomplished like they are now. They started pretty much. Zaki, where is Zaki? Zaki, pretty much as a beginner. Nicholas, Pretty much as a beginner. But you supported them. Angel, our great pianist, pretty much as a beginner. When I got up to the piano first, because we were out of musicians, I said, Angel, come to the piano with me, would you? Okay, Pastor. Can you play a G chord? Pring. Okay. Can you play a D chord? Pring. Yes. Can you play a C chord? Boom. Angel, I will never put you on the spot. I will give you the music in advance, and if you can just chord... Prong, okay, prong, 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 prong. 
strong G chord again. Can you do G chord? Yes. Can you do D chord? Yes. Can you do C chord? Okay. Wonderful. So if you just chord, because God in his sense of humor, the week before, we had somebody on the drums and me on the guitar and me singing. That is a joke. <laughs> okay, God, if that's what you want, I'm available. Okay. <laughs> you know, and some people say, hey, hey, that was pretty good. That just shows that God is still in the miracle business. Yeah. What leaves my mouth and what reaches your ear. Oh, he did a miracle on the way. So we just got to make up our mind, brothers and sisters. Don't fall in the trap when you go somewhere else that people are saying, oh, the music is not so good. Oh, but I support them. Oh, I love the lyrics, and I just worship God even though the music was not that good. I agree with you the music was not that good, but it's not a hinder, a hinder for me to worship my God. Sorry, I woke up at 4 o'clock, so I, I'm a little, a little energetic. <laughs> uh, okay, where are we? Worship. By the way, there's different kinds of worship music, yes? Um, some people have problems with repetition. Because some of the choruses they repeat and so on and so forth. Well, it, it is a little bit charismatic. Well, I have one question for you. Have you ever heard of a guy named Handel? Handel? He was a contemporary of guys like Bach and, and those type of guys. Corelli, lots of uh, uh, organ, big pipe organ, music. And... Uh, Handel, he wrote, he, he wrote a piece called The Messiah. Have you ever heard of that? Do you know the chorus of The Messiah? I'm thinking Handel was a charismatic. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. How about some repetition? <laughs> Handel had no problem with it. Saying to the Lord, Praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. How do you get tired of that when God has done so much for you? So don't fall into that, that, that trap either, folks, would you? When there's some repetition in songs, don't let it bother you. Just say, praise the Lord. I get to say it a few times. Uh, it's about time to stop. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop maybe... Next week we'll have a, we'll talk about uh, uh, Christmas and and the birth of Jesus Christ and so on and so forth, and then the week after we'll pick up um, on forgiveness and love and grace, and then maybe I can extend that a little bit, a little bit longer, and then pleasing God or pleasing self will 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 go there. My dear brothers and sisters. Uh, if I get a little bit too excited, whatever, you forgive me, okay? 
I can also go like this if you want me to. <laughs> My dear brothers and sisters, thou art the most precious church in all of the world. I can do that too. But you wouldn't like it. You would go to me like, <laughs> let us stand. You would just think everybody's praying. <laughs> yeah.